No worries. We had a little problem with Dot as well, Maria. Oh, really? So it does not only happening in my side of the world. No. And guys, Maria Maria is based in Ecuador. Maria, do you want to tell us uh, about yourself, what you do, where you're from? That'd be great to hear. Yes, of course. So first, thank you very much for um, inviting me in this conversation, which I think that it's very relevant uh, in times like this. My name is Maria. I am from Ecuador. I live in Ecuador and I work with Tirfan. I have been with Tirfan uh, for about five years, I think, and I am currently the theology and network engagement uh, lead uh, globally, which basically means that we deal with issues around the theology um, of everything that we do within Tirfan. So all the work that we do, uh, we want to be to have a, um, a strong uh, theological foundations. So everything about uh, church and community transformation, like community development, what are the biblical foundations for this? All our work in terms of um, creation care, why uh, it's a biblical mandate to do so, but also um, in Tirfan, we are engaging more and more with issues around race and ethnicity, around gender, but also around disabilities. So why does the Bible um, pushes us also to engage with these topics which have been in the margins uh, of the church? And um, I lead a team of uh, people that are based in different regions because we believe that theology uh, has to be plural and we want to hear the voices and the theologies and the way that God is also revealing to the people in the regions we are working. So in Latin America, in Africa, in Asia. So we want to hear uh, from indigenous communities, but also black populations, young people, um, because actually theology is not only for the theologians in the academy. Actually, theology should be mm -hmm. something that it's uh, uh, lively, it's something alive, and it's present in, in all of us. Wow. How do you find that with uh, the, the dominant forces in, in most theological writing originally, a very Northern European or very very Western and very white? Is it, is it challenging to, to bring in fresh theologies? Not fresh theology. Yes. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a non, non-traditional, non-hegemonic voices. Yes, it's challenging because um, it requires like a, a like a mindset shift. And you know, doing these kind of changes is not always easy. So as we can find people who quickly understand that actually, yes, if God is God of all creation, He's also speaking to our countries, our people, in and has been speaking to humanity throughout all the history. Uh, so it's not something new, um, but it's very difficult for some other people who who maybe um, maybe there is that fear that we we will we will end in in other places or we, we, if we will get to other topics or we will um, incorporate some new approaches. So yeah, it's exciting and sometimes it's challenging. Wow, wow. Oh, hey, Dot, you're back. So we were just chatting. I am back. Also, just to clarify, um, I am in my car, but I am not moving. I'm not breaking any laws. <laughs> um, I also see that we've got Mark with us. Mark, hello. Hello, everyone. How you doing, Dad? Hope you all can hear me. Oh, we can hear you. Mark, please, would you tell us all a little bit about who you are, what you do, where you are? Sure, definitely. Um, good to see you all. Good to be with you all this morning or this afternoon, based on where you are. My name is Mark Antoine. I am the country director 
for Tier Fund, um, and I'm based uh, country director for Haiti, and I live here, live here in Haiti. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to, to, to represent Tier Fund and to spend some time with you all this morning. That's fabulous. So um, as we mentioned right at the start, um, this is a conversation. So if you've got questions, please do join in. We'd love to hear your questions. Um, but to kick us off, we are all in lots of different bits of the world, England, Wales, Haiti, Ecuador. Um, what has this year and the pandemic looked like for you and the people that you're working alongside? Um, Maria, I'll come to you first, then Brian, then Mark. Yeah, so as I said, I live in Ecuador. Um, you may remember the one year ago in March, Ecuador became famous because we were among those countries that no one wanted to be um, compared to in terms of uh, the, the management around COVID uh, because it was a shock. Uh, we were not prepared for that, definitely. So the health system was not as strong. We had a lot of, of uh, people in despair, so there were some uh, videos around uh, bodies on the streets and, and uh, some fake videos, also people um, burning the, the bodies on the street. But yes, it was, it was a chaos. Um, it has been a very tough year. Um, we are still there, so Latin America doesn't see uh, the light uh, out of the tunnel yet. Um, because the vaccines are uh, the vaccination, the rollout has been very slow. What happened is that those countries that could uh, buy the vaccines uh, in advance bought more than than what they needed. So this happens, for example, with the states, they bought three times more. But the consequence is that we didn't get the vaccines on time. So we are still there. We are still getting there slowly, slowly. But the problem, particularly in my country, is corruption. So when the first vaccines arrived and they were supposed to go um, to the to the those on the front lines, like the health, um, uh, the people working in the health uh, um, system, actually the vaccines didn't get to them initially because it was it just went to, to those people who were close to the politics and these kind of things. So um, I, Latin Americans are very strong. We are very resilient. We will survive. Uh, and this kind of, of uh, is not the first time that we are facing a kind of crisis. Um, so we will survive. But I have to say that it's, it, it has been hard. And I think that the hardest for many people now is not knowing when this is going to be over um, because it's not over yet. And in the midst of that chaos, we have seen, of course, some signs of God and of hope. Um, personal personal stories, but also as a church, but it has been a challenging year, like the challenge and opportunity. I think that these are the two words for me. Thank you, Maria. That is... That's a lot to take in. That feels really actually very different to some of the experience here and some of it feels a bit similar and um, Brian what's it been like for you and the people you work alongside 
I guess here we are basically so uh it's it's a uh very different situation I think from 24 7 prayers perspective we have had to really watch that we don't start because our main office is in the UK that we don't start going oh things are looking a lot better because things in general around the world aren't looking a lot better and so we have to you know it's just been an interesting time living in what I would probably say it's quite a middle-class area in a country that's well provided for and organized around the, the, the vaccines. It's, it's a very, it's a challenging thing. Cause it's, I tell you, it's really, it pushes people to, it actually pushes your justice chip quite a lot because you, you, you want your family to be vaccinated. Do you know what I mean? So, and, but you know that there actually, there are other people around the world that need the vaccines more. So, and, and I actually think this is a key time for the church to step up around the whole vaccination thing and become a voice that says, let's stop worrying so much about making sure that we get all our 18 year olds done. And let's make sure that we get this stuff pushed out to the nations that really need it. So I actually think there's probably some uh, voices that need to be raised around the justice of the vaccine disparity. Uh, but that gets lost in a whole world of fake news and QAnon and all that kind of stuff. So very, very challenging. So, but but the, the church must surely step up and say, uh, guys, we need to we need to make sure that this there isn't a vaccine disparity around the world. So I'm I'm challenged by that. We 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 work as a movement in lots of different nations. So we have teams in Lebanon or in Iran or other you know or South Africa in a township in South Africa or you know in 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 Borneo different places where so I I get from you know any given Sunday I get a whole range of different challenges that we're experiencing. So but I, I do think one of the one of the big challenges is is the vaccine disparity and that sense of us entering into what could only be described as a gray zone of the way the world used to be is changing but we're not quite into the how the world will be yet and we're in this kind of gray space in the middle and i think i'm seeing that internationally so that's quite a long answer dot so I think Dot um, is still having some internet issues. Uh, she has very kindly passed uh, hosting over to me while she's trying to get some new signal. Um, thank you, Brian, for sharing. Mark, what about you in Haiti? What's this year look like? Yeah, um, it's been a really, I think, I think um, Maria said, used the word challenging, and I think it's um, a good word uh, for, these, for these circumstances, for these times. Um, it's been a very challenging year in Haiti. By the grace of God, COVID has not um, impacted us too much, though recently the numbers are increasing. But generally speaking, we have not had many issues uh, with COVID. Only, only God knows why. Um, and we, we, we thank God for that because we know that our, our health system is just not equipped to deal with, with those challenges. Um, but we've had a host of other issues, um, just in regards to social political um, spectrum. And so a lot of unrest, a lot of political turmoil. We had a president who was unwilling to leave office after his term has ended, which has led to uh, violent protests, kidnappings have been on the rise. Our office had to be shut down for a number of months due to the the kidnappings. Um, We've had staff members whose family were kidnapped, um, you know, church, uh, church family were kidnapped. So it's been a very, very tough year in regards to safety and security. Um, for for our country for our staff, um, and so we're, we're, we we've just been 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 praying through it and um, hoping and helping each other 
remain remain positive and remain prayerful while also putting you know the relevant safety mechanisms in, in, in place. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been challenging to say the least. Um, but through it all, we we continue to see God's faithfulness and God's grace. Uh, and I think having a family um, of of other believers has been very very big for us um, to to have people to lean on in difficult times. And so yeah, I think challenging is a is, is, a, is a very good word to use for this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, and is there some concern? for you and Haiti around uh, that perhaps COVID hasn't, hasn't finished yet and that there is going to be uh, influx as the year goes on? Yeah, there is, there is always that, that fear. Um, um, actually, the past couple of weeks, um, the Ministry of Health has said that the, the cases have been increasing. There's two uh, new strands that they found uh, in, in Haiti recently. And so more people are, are getting it now. It seems to be surging. Um, in a way that it wasn't surging at the beginning. And so people are becoming a bit more fearful. Um, our office was closed down at the beginning of COVID because, because due to the fact that it wasn't much of a challenge, many offices opened back up. Now offices are closing again. Um, there's a curfew now. So there is a bit of a, of, of a fear that it can be, um, that, that it will rise. If it does, I think everyone in Haiti is well aware of the weaknesses and um, the, the fragility of our healthcare system. And so that's always a, a fear, not enough, you know, access to, to, to medicine, not enough access to basic healthcare for the majority of our population. Um, and so if, if COVID does become a major issue, it will definitely be a large humanitarian crisis. And I think um, many organizations, many churches, many uh, stakeholders are preparing for that eventuality, but, um, We'll, we'll wait and see um, how that how that plays out. Thank you. Uh, so for all of you then, next question is, how was this last year, this season, uh, be it COVID, be it the political instability, the kidnappings that Mark was talking about, how has this impacted your prayers, your prayer life, the people that you work with? Um, Maria, over to you. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. I think that there is something uh, very interesting with COVID is that it's both global, but it's also very personal. And um, when we talk about the challenges and opportunities um, globally, actually, it has also implied a lot of challenges, but also opportunities at a personal level, um, because for, for many people, um, like being at home and it being in lockdown and in Latin America, the lockdown has been extended. I know that in the UK it has to, so, but this has also brought a lot of upside downs because you have, you, you, you often in home, you have a problem, you just go out, you don't deal with the problem, you just put like a bandaid um, and it seems that it's okay, but actually the wound has not been healed. So when you don't have nowhere to go, when you have to be there, you just have to deal with issues. And I think that this impacts um, the prayer life and um, because prayer is not something that is linear and it's something that it's static. Somehow prayer has like a divine aspect, but also a human aspect. Prayer is as human as we are. So it's not constant. It doesn't have to be linear. It's not going always up. It also changes and the, the prayer rhythms changes as we change. 
So uh, the good news is that there is something that doesn't change. God doesn't change. We change. Maybe our prayer rhythms change. God is, remains the same. And this is the rock that we can get. But of course, we have seen, we have seen, uh, and I have seen times where I, where I was really praying for my friends who were sick, really praying with my kids and maybe having some symbols, some liturgies. And it was a good space to maybe, we cannot go, go to church, but maybe we can use symbols. So we often use the candle and lighting the candle as a constant, as a symbol of constant prayer. So we have had those times, but I have also had times of a lot of anger and not understanding what, what is going on. And when I see the news and I only see the people dying and the people losing their jobs and and then also the, the, the social disruption in, in Latin America, I, I also had some times of losing my hope and losing my, my prayer rhythm. But again, God was constantly there. So I think that I, I have seen a little bit of everything, those times with close prayer, but also those times with no wanting to pray and not understanding. And I think that um, because we cannot go to the church, we have to be creative in other ways of discovering God and other ways of having communion together. So uh, I think that it was also for for some of us uh, an opportunity to see God in the in the times that we could walk because the the gym is closed but at least we can walk a little bit so uh, experiencing the presence of God in in some other spaces not only in the temple not only in the in the normal prayer but also in the morning walk but also in the times with the kids but also in the times when we can just rest so again, as many many answers, I think uh, today the 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 good side, uh, the challenging side, but also opportunity for new things, opportunity to create something different. Amen. That's brilliant, Maria. Thank you, uh, Brian. What about you? Well, I think at the beginning of the pandemic, the uh, Google searches for prayer doubled, according to a study out of the University of Copenhagen. As a movement, 24-7 prayer itself, we, we do these things called prayer rooms 24-7. Uh, so you can you, you get a space and you run a prayer room in that space for 24 hours for seven days. So we, that, we went virtual and we've seen a 250% increase in people doing virtual prayer rooms and virtual gatherings. So, I mean, from our perspective, just on a, a as on a global outlook, prayer seems to have taken off. I mean, we, we had a prayer course that teaches people how to pray, 3 million downloads. You know, we the the, the uh, our app, Let's Show 365, don't worry, Jake, this isn't an advertisement, but it's a prayer app. And that that's that we from 30,000 now to about 150,000 regular users. So, so on that level, I think there's been an incredible uh, uptick in the amount of people who are accessing prayer, engaging with prayer, looking at prayer. I, I think the challenge probably has been that most has been the development of daily devotional rhythms for the individual believer. That's really important. I think in the West specifically, there may have been an overemphasis on leaning towards the Sunday service as being the place that fed you. You know, and I and I believe in the Sunday service. I love it. I love corporate singing. I love great preaching. But once a week, there, there was a, a you know, let's go be fed, and that would sustain. And I think for some people, not having had the Sunday stuff, it's thrown them into us into not some people a tailspin, but others have been like, I need better devotional rhythms. I think if you looked at say uh, 
some of the monastic rhythms from the from the Celtic fathers, they actually the rules of life that they had, which were things that they did daily to help sustain their faith, they were actually put in place to help them when they were outside of the monastery. So they weren't things that they necessarily they didn't need them in the monastery. They needed these little rules of life and rhythms of life to sustain them when they were outside of the monastery. And I think the church in many ways has been outside of the monastery for the last, you know, 18, 19 months. We, we haven't been able to get fed the way we used to get fed. So we've had to learn increasingly to feed ourselves, to develop rhythms, to find place for encounter. So like Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, that says that they walked with with God and the, the reflexive conjugation of the Hebrew verb was that they walked for pleasure. And, and it was all, it also implied that they regularly walked for pleasure with God. So we have this, this thing that was a little less about, I attend the church. I just go through some routine, to, even to just like I say my daily prayers, but to actually this devotional place where we have these rules of life that help us walk for pleasure with God on a regular basis. And I, I think that's been a challenge. I, and a lot of people have been definitely picking up on that. And we've seen, so you'll see a lot more people engaging with private and individual devotional lives. And, but I think there's, there's another side to it where a lot of people in the church has taken a bit of a hit, you know, a bit from that not having regular gathered meetings. So, yeah. Thanks, Brian. Mark, what about you in, in your context? What is it? What's prayer looking like at the minute? Yeah, I think um, what, what Brian shared is, is, is really uh, indicative of what, what, what's been going on. Personally, um, I, I don't know how many, I'm sure we have parents in the room, but I'm a, I'm a, um, I'm a new parent. So I have a 19-year-old and an eight-month-old. So we had them back to back. And so I haven't had three hours of sleep back to back in about 19 months. <laughs> but um, to be very honest, my whole prayer rhythm has just been thrown off because of the because of the kids. And my wife and I are trying to figure out how to how to get back. And so I'm I'm a pastor and I I, um, I, I preach. I do itinerant preaching. Um, but I've realized that even my even my we talk about devotionals and you know just just reading scripture outside of studying, I've realized that my, my devotional time has just decreased. Um, and it's because, you know, when, you, when, I, when I get back home from work and putting the boys down um, for bed, I, I often fall asleep trying to put them down and I'm, and I'm waking up and taking care of my wife and around the house. And so I've realized I've, I've tried to become more, um, what's the word? I, I, I guess innovative with, my, my prayer. <laughs> um, so, you know, I have very methodical prayer sessions, but now, you know, I kind of, when I'm holding my son and putting him to sleep, I, you know, just pray. Um, or, you know, when I'm giving him a bath, hey, you know, we're, we're just just praying. And I realized that I just kind of had to change up some of the, the, the routines because my entire time frame has has just has just changed and the boys require so much um and so i've had to, to kind of be a, a, a bit patient realizing that this is you know a season um and 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 god has graced my wife and i through what i think what brian mentioned about you know developing new rhythms of, of devotions um how to figure out how to do that daily it looks different in each in each household I think that's right on the spot. I know for me, the thing that I'm 
surprised me most about uh, lockdown particularly was was not the commute going to the office. And and when I was commuting to the office, commuting was like such a pain and I hated it. And then as soon as the commute stopped, I realized that that was like my key quiet time where I had it to myself, where I was able to focus on God. And suddenly when that was taken away, it was like I lost a part, something that was so vital, so important to me. And it's amazing how something... Obviously, the lockdown COVID is massive, but it's amazing how easily it is to lose something that is part of a structure, part of a routine. And as Brian said, these new rhythms are so important. Um, so I think everyone on this call can probably identify with something that's been shared there, uh, which I think moves us on nicely to prophetic imagination, which I'm sure lots of you either are aware of or something that you were so intrigued of that that's why you're here today. Um, so, uh, Maria, do you want to talk a bit about uh, prophetic imagination? What it is? What is it to you? Why is it important? Yeah, so it's, um, I love, I love the concept of prophetic imagination, and it was proposed by an um, Old Testament scholar from the United States that is called Walter Brueggemann. This is not something that we learn too much in Latin American um, church, but it's uh, so powerful that actually, and, and yes, also because of my contact with my colleagues in the UK, I came to, to, to know that we have things similar, we have in other words, but basically, so prophetic imagination has two words. The one prophetic maybe is the least um, uh, like innovative. Prophetic in Brueggemann's words refers to the, um, the vocation of those prophets in the Old Testament who had basically like two mandates. They had to denounce injustice and announce hope. So they were those popular, non-popular servers that spoke in the name of God to do justice. And this is played for them to speak up against some powers, some powers that they were sometimes political because he spoke against, they spoke against kings. Or those powers were economic because they also spoke against those who were taking advantage of the poor. But also they, these prophets spoke against the religious system. And this was very sensitive because they also um, denounced how the um, religious system was corrupted. And, and then we can have um, um, verses like Micah 6, 8. When, when we are coming back again, we just were told to love, mercy, act justly, and walk humble, humbly with the Lord. So um, Jesus also embraced this prophetic task because he also denounced the power uh, that were from the politics, the economics, and also the religious system. So this is the, the prophetic. However, uh, Brueggemann says that when we talk about the prophetic, um, this prophetic aspect, we also remember that actually God is someone that is acting in our history. He's doing something in our history. He's erupting. He's disrupting our life because he's bouncing some, somehow, bouncing into history to um, build his kingdom. So that's the prophetic one side. But the second imagination is like the innovative part in the prophetic uh, work. And it's interesting because what he says is actually that the prophet's business is to future fantasy, is to imagine that fantasy. Because in the world that we live, we always want to implement, to implement. But actually, before implementing, there is a, a previous step, which is imagining imagining that something different can happen. And Brueggemann says that this futuring fantasy, this imagining work is dangerous 
because imagine that work can be different is the first step to make many, many changes. Having the vision, the vision of a world that works upside down, that works with the, with the kingdom's principles is dangerous because it means that the political powers, the economic powers, the religious uh, powers have to be upside down where the, the last are the first, where those who are not invited to the table are not invited to the table. So this is disruptive. Imagining this future is disruptive because it can be so powerful that ignite ignite this transformation, ignite this change. So Brueggemann says, the vocation of the prophet is to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on conjuring and proposing future alternatives to the single one the king wants to urge as the one and thinkable, only thinkable one. So the the the, um, the business of the prophet is to keep that imagination going and give us some more alternatives to this world that help uh, that sometimes tell us that there is only one one alternative. So for me, prophetic imagination is grounded in the conviction that God is something is doing something good in this world, and maybe something is slow, but it's happening. And in Latin America, we don't call, we don't say prophetic imagination, but we we have a terminology with uh, with uh, some colleagues like stubborn hope. That hope that it's really um, not an not an ingenious, not an uh, like an optimistic, uh, weak or fake hope is a hope that is uh, rooted in faith. So it's uh, somehow like a faith rooted, a stubborn hope that help us to see something good that could come even when we don't see it. And this is the, 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 the specific contribution that faith brings. Faith gives the society the opportunity to see something that we don't see, to believe in something that we don't see and to continue walking towards that. And I will preach. shut up because I can continue <laughs> talking. No, preach more. it. Preach. That's brilliant. <laughs> I think this is something that um, Pete Gregg touched on a little bit earlier today. I think in the session he was saying that you know this this the pandemic is, has has been such a um, has turned things on its head so much that we have this incredible opportunity now, and that um, the danger is that we just go back to what we were doing before. But the opportunity is that we have this this chance to reimagine what it looks like going forward, and that to me is exactly what you just described. It's that it's that prophetic imagination of what can it be like, what does it look like, and that's that's the justice thing that we're talking about here as well. Um, Brian, have you got anything you want to add to this? Probably because I love Brueggemann as well, but I won't. I won't go on too much either. I think there's that there. There is the sense, possibly, when we use the word prophetic, where in in the English church, the prophetic has always been the prophetic gift, and it's you know down to this one man who gives a prophetic word, and it's almost like. Uh, you know, it's it's a very personal and individual thing. Whereas I, I think the prophetic imagination needs to rest upon communities and uh, church communities. That that someone once said that the power of vision lies in our ability to imagine an alternative reality. And I think the church has, to, you know, that that we have to the power of our vision has to be that we can see an alternative reality to the one that we're living in. And so, so that that's the challenge for me, the prophetic imagination is a community that, that decides it's going to live differently and speak differently. I, I'm always really challenged as well, Jake, by Romans 12, where it says, therefore do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. And I, I, I and in, in, I, you know, from years ago, I'm from a Baptist background and it was very much, uh, 
uh, my dad is a Baptist minister. It's very much about the, the the patterns of this world. Where like, don't drink, don't smoke. I'm not saying Baptist. Anyway, I'm not. There's no. There's no uh, judgment on anyone there. But but really, the patterns of this world are are so much bigger, and and that the, 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 those kind of areas that you know the the judgmentalism that we experience, the the massive discrimination between wealth and the you know lots of these are the patterns of this world. And I, and I think in, in for, for me, the prophetic imagination is one that says, how do we as a church in the West where we are, uh, you know, live alternatively and live differently? How do we not become conformed to the pattern of this world? Because the pattern of this world actually fits quite nicely into Western materialistic church. You, you, do you know what I mean? We end up, we, we, it, it doesn't rock the boat. It's an alter, it, it, it's just part of it. You know, and if, if someone, if someone in a, in a Western church went, right, we're going to sell our entire building. We're going to give it all to the poor. That would freak people out, Jake. You know, it would, it really would. And so I'm not saying that's what we should do, but, but there's, there's an aspect about like to be so culturally in, in, part of the community and part of the world that's good but there's another bit that just makes us a bit fat and a bit flabby and so prophetic imagination is saying how do we how do we live the alternative reality the kingdom reality how do we draw a different narrative paint a different picture and 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 see people stepping into what that is so that that's the challenge for me and i, I actually think that the the all that we've experienced right now has been pretty much a big shaking to the more comfortable as I know, I know for for Mark is it's not comfortable at all. Do you know, but but in here where we are, I think this has been a massive shaking right now. And 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 we the church even need to be thinking, oh, how do we get back to how we used to do things? No, I think a prophetic imagination is how do we reimagine how we're moving forward? How do we see God's spirit move in us and through us as a community? Yeah, that's great, Brian. Thank you. Mark, what about you? Prophetic imagination in your context in Haiti right now. What does that, what does that look like for you? What's it look like for the people you're working with? Um, I think pro- pro- prophetic imagination in our in our community has always been something that we've we've talked about um, coming from um, the history of Haiti, first Black Republic, um, overthrowing uh, slavery, um, coming from a Black. Um, I grew up in New York, so I, I was born in Haiti, but I grew up as an immigrant in the U.S. And so coming from, you know, history of Martin Luther King, he gives a speech talking about, I have a dream. Um, that is prophetic imagination. That is, you know, the, the, the um, you know, prophetic imagination realized that his, that entire speech, I have a dream, is imagining a kingdom society um, in, the, in, in the context of the United States um, where, where, where people are equal. Um, and so I think with, with all of that, it's always been something that's been in our minds. When I think of prophetic imagination, I also think about Habakkuk in, in um, chapter two, um, where God says, write the vision, make it plain, um, that, that he may run with it, whoever reads it. Um, but then it goes on to say that the vision is yet for an appointed time. It will surely come to pass. And I think that this imagination is not just imagining for the sake of imagining, but it's imagining with hope because the imagination that we have has come from God. And I think prophetic imagination is there because we're influenced by the spirit of God. Not only we're made in the image of God, but that the spirit of God is conforming us in our minds to think as the spirit would think, 
to imagine as a spirit would imagine, to see things as God would see them. And so when that happens, when we're conformed, when our eyes are changed, when our heart is changed, that imagination that we have, that prophetic imagination is God's imagination. Um, the prophet, the Bible says the prophet only speaks what God gives the prophet to speak. And so uh, 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 someone who's, who's prophesying and who's imagining in a prophetic realm is imagining what God would imagine. Um, and so I think that that is what has been really powerful for me. And I, I love what Brueggemann has all, you know, also speak, um, also, you know, uh, uh, describes. But when I think about prophetic imagination, I'm thinking about, wow, I'm imagining as God would imagine. Um, what God is thinking of doing is what he's put in me. And my dreams has now, have now become God's dreams. And I think, you know, that's powerful in and of itself, understanding that God has shared his mind with us. Um, and I think in, in places all around the world where, you know, fragility is so high, um, if you don't have an imagination, you don't have anything. Because <laughs> um, sometimes, it, you know, it's very easy just to look at what's there um, and, and to be downtrodden. But to have the audacity of hope, um, you know, like former President Barack Obama would say, the audacity to imagine as God would imagine, um, that's a powerful weapon to have. And I think in these days, um, we need a church um, that can do that. That's awesome. I think the power of um, uh, taking the Martin Luther King um, quote, you know, I have a dream that the prophetic imagination that man had was incredible. But what I think what we all have is also the ability to do prophetic declaration. And so you can often say that you can often think that, the you know, hearing some of the stuff around prophetic imagination, you might be like, oh, I'm not sure I've got that. I'm not sure that's something I can do. I do think you can. I think everyone can. But I'm saying no matter what, we can prophetically declare things. And that is a role of the Old Testament priests. That is a role as the priesthood of all believers. That's something that we can do is that we can sense what God's doing. Uh, we can connect with something that someone else has said and we can prophetically declare it. And it's in the declaring that God will make it come to be. Um, so amen to that. That's fantastic. Uh, I want to make sure we've got some time for questions from you guys in the audience. So if you do have any questions, please start putting them in the chat. Um, oh, we've lost Mark. Uh, he disagreed with what I said. <laughs> um, I'll move on to another question, uh, but please, yeah, if you can have got any questions yourself, add them to the chat. Um, let me, uh, Maria, go back to you. Um, what tips do you have for us? Give, give us some practical tips for praying, for prophetic imagination, for praying in this season. Um, what does a lot of you, what, how, how can we do that too? Good. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Jake. So I think that in a season like this, the world needs hope and the world needs to have this uh, capacity to, to, as, um, to dare to imagine and to dare to believe and, and to keep to that stubborn hope. And um, because the COVID has not come to show us anything that we didn't know. So it's nothing that we have seen. It's actually new. Um, the destruction of the environment was already there, injustice was already there, corruption was already there, violence was already there. So nothing is really new. It's just that this is exacerbated. There is one anthropologist uh, from uh, Portugal. Um, he's called um, Boaventura de Sousa. He says that the COVID is a pedagogue. pedagogue. It's a pedagogue, but it's a cruel pedagogue because the only way that he that it is teaching us is through killing. So this is what we are living. And in the midst of this space 
with a lot of uncertainty, with a lot of pain, the church needs to speak up. There is one specific and unique contribution that the church has, that the government do not have, that the NGO do not have. No one else has that powerful voice of uh, imagining that hope and imagining this future that can be real, that has been a promise in the, just in the, in the same way of um, Hebrews 11. The hope is the capacity to imagine something that we don't see. That better future is what uh, faith can give us and that can give to society. So I, I think that we need to stick to that. We need to be able to denounce uh, those things that are not going right so if we are talking about a system that is capitalist, that is colonial, that is patriarchal, like embracing this prophetic imagination is also uh, being able to denounce and to challenge this system and maybe think another world. How can, how, what should this other world look like? Anti-capitalist, anti-colonial and be, by anti-colonial, anti anti-racist also and anti-patriarchal. This is too much. How can, it's, an, it's a world that works upside down and we need a lot of faith and we need a lot of hope to even imagine that uh, so we i think that we need to stick to that and just uh, as um uh, one tip for prayer um some years ago we were in an event with one indigenous friend she's uh, an indigenous woman from uh, kuna uh, communities in panama and i was telling her that actually i was a little bit disappointed about the event that we were because everything was good but i wanted more prayer and she looked at me and she said ah yeah it's because for you prayer is having a specific time and in a specific place closing the eyes and having that is prayer and I said, yes, of course, and even in community. And she said, no, because for me, prayer is something that is constant. Prayer is, some, is, is me talking to God all the time, every time. So when I am exercising, I am prayer. When I am walking, I am pray prayer. Prayer is a kind of attitude. And of course, because our more Western mindset um, dichotomizes everything. So prayer is, uh, or, or having the devotional life or spiritual life is praying, uh, worshiping, reading the scriptures, studying the scriptures, fasting. But actually for many indigenous communities that do not have that dichotomy, everything is integrated. And this is how prayer and prophetic um, voice is, is, is there. When they go to the march to stop um, a bulldozer uh, to damage the forest, they are doing that through prayer because prayer and fight, prayer and justice, prayer and doing advocacy is just integrating. It is Prayer is not passive. Prayer is something active. So uh, like uh, something that, that I would, that I am reminding myself and makes me feel less guilt when I cannot have my specific moment of, of prayer necessarily. I am praying constantly. Constant uh, prayer is an attitude, something that is coming with us something that is that has to be there when when we are doing many other things and that needs to be there and alive so that we can keep igniting this prophetic imagination that the world is needing so much that's brilliant maria thank you brian what about you what uh what practical steps do you and tips do you have for us i love the fact i think maria's right that, that paul says prayer pray without ceasing so I, I, at the minute, I have this little marble that I keep in my pocket to remind me to pray all the time for a certain person. And I just carry this little marble with me and it reminds me to pray for him. But I do also think Jesus did say in Matthew 6, verse 6, you know, about like going away 
find a storeroom, an inner room in your house, go away to a quiet place and play and pray, sorry, and probably play, but pray. And that the, the Greek for that word was tamion, which was like this windowless room. And I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think about all the windows I have in my life, my phone, my iPad, all of that, and, and my laptop. And, and Jesus said, go away to a windowless room. And so for me, actually finding that windowless room on a regular basis is quite important, especially when I look at the life of Christ and see that, you know, in Mark four, he goes away and prays, you know, in Mark six, he goes up a mountain and prays, you know, at the end, he goes to a garden and prays. So I do think there's something about location and prayer. I do think, I, I, I know exactly what Maria is saying, but I also think there is, we have to find that space for both with, and, and, and have this kind of guilt-free prayer life. You know, I've, I've recently, I've got some weights because obviously no one wanted to get uh, overweight during lockdown. So I've got these two arm weights, which I lay and I, I push them up and I, I've got two sons. So I, I think this is one son, this is the other son. And as I do the weights, I, I'm, I'm praying for both my sons, you know. So, so I think we bring prayer into everything. A friend of ours, he turned his car, he said, my car is my sanctuary. You know, so that, so that every time we got in, this, in the car, rather than thinking I've got to go and drive, I'm stepping into a sanctuary where I can spend some time. So, so I think it's creating, it's being creative and creating, creating spaces, Jake, that I think has been really, really key at this time. Uh, yeah, where's your chair, right? I have a chair that I go to every morning. I know that's the season of life that I am at. I'm a 50-year-old man of old children. I don't have any hassle. There's no little kids screaming at me like Mark's got, you know, none of that. I haven't got a lot of pressure. So I can find a kind of like a, a quiet spot in the morning and do what I need to do. Uh, but other people have to find their own chair and that doesn't necessarily mean a quiet spot in a corner of a room. So, yeah. Thank you, Brian. Um, any questions from the audience? I've got more, so I can keep going, but I would love it if there is any questions, give people an opportunity. I would like just to add something to Brian said, I think that there is something in prayer about intentionality, right? So it's it's uh, maybe find, finding like the chair, like everything can become uh, like a spiritual door maybe if there is intentionality on this. So I think that intentionality is a key aspect in, in our relationship with God in our prayer life. And I, I actually also think uh, intentionality and imagination and wonder, you know, what, like stopping and noticing God, you know, because sometimes I think we're so busy rushing through life that we don't actually stop for a minute and see God in, in, in nature or see God in people or see God in the interactions around us. So I think if we're too busy, we don't stop. And it, uh, it was Sissy Jupe in the Dickens book, Hard Times. I think that the, the protagonist, Grad Grind, he was the, the main, he said, he wanted facts. All I want is facts, facts, facts. And, and he got disappointed. She sat and she stared into the fire and she wondered, you know. And I think there's something about wonder that we could do with practicing as well. So me and Maria just keep bouncing off each other now for a little while, Jake, sorry. But so, so intentionality and, and then that kind of wonder, that stop. I, we did a prayer room in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. I was charging around to find an extension lead. And I felt God said to me, Brian, stop and look up. And you look up at this huge domed ceiling, but I was so busy just trying to find an extension lead that I just didn't take the moment to stop and appreciate the wonder around me. So, yeah. While we're there. 
<laughs> I think we could all listen to you guys just riff off each other for another hour at least. Uh, but I do have a question in the chat. Uh, this is from Jay Codgers. How do we balance between the hope of the future and wrestle with the circumstances of the present? Who wants to go with that one? Maria? You want me to go with that one? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that I, it's, uh, it's, uh, I don't think that there is an easy answer for this. Um, but it's not new. Like, I think that this has been, it's just the history of humanity. So there is no simple answer to this because it's not, there is, I don't think that there is, or no one has told me if there is a technique to, to balance properly and how much we need to have the reality, how much we have to have the hope. Um, what I remember is uh, Karl Barr um, saying actually that we need to um, do theology and, and go to the scriptures always with the two books. One, the newspapers in one hand and the Bible in the other hand, because this is a, something that we need to be uh, um, like uh, having a dialogue all the time. So the, the reality has to be illuminated by the Bible, but the Bible has also to be illuminated with reality. So reality and the Bible is something that we have to, to deal with. And I don't think that this was new, none for the prophets, none for Jesus, is the reality, but also the hope. And maybe this is why many theologians talk about the kingdom as the uh, yet, but not yet and yet to come here, but not here. So is that dichotomy again? So we see the kingdom is not something that is only future, it's future, but it's also present. So is that tension between being here, but in the same time, looking at the future, having the feet on the ground and stepping and walking with our people, which is what Jesus did, never disconnect. But in the same time, as we have the feet on the ground, we have our eyes on the kingdom. So um not an easy answer but it's something that we need to keep doing it's something that jesus did it is the hope that we have is the kingdom that has been inaugurated by jesus but it's been implementing maybe personally what does help me and maybe taking a little bit of what, what brian said um this capacity of wondering and capacity the awareness for me it's encouraging when in the midst of a lot of darkness I see some some um, signs of the kingdom there, the possibility to perceive God present and interacting, erupting in the history, in my history, in your history, in the world's history, even in, in, in small ways. That small things of hope, those those small signs of hope that help us to to remember that God is present and the the the, the evil has not the last word. Yes, amen, Maria. That's brilliant. I think that's um, that hope for the future is something that here in the UK we have been holding on to June twenty first um, hard. The, the the opportunity, the hope for a reduction in lockdown. Um, but of course, you know, if we were speaking to someone from India here, someone from Brazil here, um, their current present situation uh, would seem so far removed from the hope of where they want to be. And I think we all know that. In terms of, of COVID, in terms of any sense of injustice, actually, it always hits the poor the hardest. Um, and one of the things that Tier Fund are working on is around the uh, vaccination inequality that is so prevalent in the world today. Um, and so we've got a little video, uh, two minutes or so, that Emily is going to play for us. Thank you, Emily.
I think we're not hearing any of the sound. Is anyone hearing sound on this? No. Okay. How frustrating. Uh, Emily, do you want to put, um, is, have we got a link for this in the chat that we can, we can send to people? I can't see Emily's face. Um, what we'll do is we will uh, find the video link and we will put it in the chat for you. Um, one of the reasons that uh, Tier Fund have put this on uh, is because of this vaccine inequality. And one of the things that one of their campaigns at the moment is around trying to um, fundraise for uh, ensuring that places like India, places like Brazil are able to get the same access to vaccinations as we are. And so uh, if you go to their website, www.tierfund.org, they will, um, there's a way there that you can find out more information about this. There's a way that you can uh, engage with your local church, engage with your local community and engage financially if you wanted to as well. Um, so I might have just got, got a link here. One second. No. Um, so yeah, we will, we'll find out. And what we can do as well is we can send out an email later with, um, with more information. But if you go to the website, www.tierfund.org, you're able to find out more um, and you're able to give if you would like to. Uh, a tier, uh, sorry, just heard from Dot here. Dot is going to put it on the Tier Fund social media as well um, so that you can see it. Um, we have time for one more question, if there is a question. Jake, no? oh, yes, Brian, sorry. Just on the, the balance between the future and the wrestle with the circumstances of the present, I, I do think we have to learn the art of perseverance in a culture of immediacy where everything, everything comes quickly. And, uh, you know, the children of Israel were imprisoned for 400 years and that you read a lot of constantly in the new Testament and there, and then they suddenly this happened, but constantly they were all together in prayer. And we've got to be the people of constantly and the people of perseverance uh, living with the yet and not yet, you know, the here and the not yet here. Uh, I do think that increasingly we're going to have to learn to be the people who persevere uh, and, and hold on, you know, and that, that's not because I don't believe that God is the God of the suddenly and the God of the breakthrough, but I do think we have to be modeling a, a, a cultural difference, which is one is sometimes things can take a while and we will persevere. We will not let go until you bless us type, you know, the Genesis 38 type wrestling attitude that needs to come. Uh, but all the time believing that suddenly God could do something, but at the same time living in that sense of perseverance, I think it's really important. Yeah. Maria, how about you uh, pray for us before we go on? I think everyone here would yeah, appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Can I pray in Spanish and in English? Yeah, we'd love that. Yeah. Dios, te quiero dar gracias por este espacio, por darnos la oportunidad de compartir algunas ideas y también compartir cargas juntos y juntas entre personas de diferentes lugares. Te pido bendición para cada uno de nosotros. God, I want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to continue learning from you, reflecting, strengthening, um, our faith by hearing each other. I thank you for all my brothers and sisters who are present in this um, in this room, and for the opportunities that uh, technology gives us also to hear us, to hear other voices, to hear other realities. I want to pray, God, that you help us to continue igniting this prophetic imagination that is so necessary in the world that we are living. The world, your world needs hope, needs to believe. 
And it's people that continue uh, reminding us that um, you have a good plan for each of us, for all your creation, that you love your world, that you want life and good life for each of us. I want to thank you for the church, the local church and the global church, so that you help us also to be those voices that bring hope in the midst of um, desperation and hopeless. Help us God, to be prophets in our ways, prophets in our days, where we can denounce injustice and where, where we can announce hope. Thank you for Brian, for Mark, for Dot, for Jake, and for everyone who was present today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. 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 So thank you, Maria, from uh, Tear Fund in Ecuador. Thank you, Brian, from 24-7 Prayer. Mark from Haiti, Tear Fund, and from Dot. Uh, from Wales and Tear Fund. Uh, thank you all for joining us. Uh, there's another Justice Lab happening in half an hour here. Uh, or there are other labs. You can check them out on the website, um, wildfastfestival.org. Thanks for your time, everyone. Uh, also, this will be this is recorded. Others will be recorded. Um, so you can catch up if you missed the other ones as well. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye.